Well, let's look at the Word of God. We're in this series, God's Salvation Pack, Package. And uh, we're going to be start out by reading Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. Now, uh, propitiation is one of those rare words in the Word of God. Because according to my Strong's Concordance, it only appears three times in the Bible. But it's a vital, valuable word that teaches us some important things about the Word of God. So would you stand with me as we read Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's bow our heads for another word of prayer. Father, we commit this time into your hands. This is your word. And I pray that as we study this important word of propitiation, that you might open our hearts and minds and reveal to us the wonders of your salvation and that we might truly leave this place today to live for you and to share the message of salvation to a lost world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, today we're going to continue this study, the salvation, God's salvation package. Um, last time we preached on the subject of regeneration, and uh, I sort of said any, many, many, mo, but uh, really... Uh, as I considered the subject of God's salvation package, what should come first? And when you think about this subject, propitiation happens not when Jesus was born, the incarnation or some other uh, aspect of his life, but it happened back in eternity. And so we're going to study this subject this morning. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 speaks of the salvation God has provided for us as so great a salvation. When we begin to look at the different aspects of our salvation, we have to conclude that it truly is great. And uh, today we continue this subject, God's salvation package, with a very obscure but very important part of God's salvation package, which is propitiation. Uh, 
and uh, you're probably scratching your head again. What in the world is propitiation? My guess is that there's probably not one in 100 people in America who has actually ever heard the word propitiation and perhaps one in 1,000 who really understands what it means. It's a word that is rarely used in ordinary conversation. In fact, my strongs, well, I've already said that, yet when we begin to study the doctrine of salvation, we discover that propitiation speaks directly of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as it relates to our salvation. And so, first of all, let's consider the definition of propitiation. The word propitiation means the turning away of wrath by an offering or a gift. In relation to the doctrine of salvation, propitiation means placating or satisfying the wrath of God by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Propitiation sometimes used for pagan religious ceremonies. It's used for the offering of animals for blood sacrifice. It's used for the idea of appeasing an angry God. Used to express the idea of bringing an offering and placing before an idol because you thought the idol, the God, you worship was angry with you. You hoped that by offering a blood sacrifice or food on the altar, the anger of the God would be turned away. Now, uh, lest you think that what I've just said about offering offerings to the God is uh, far-fetched. If you made a trip to modern Taiwan or other similar countries in East Asia. You would discover that the discover the superstitious practice of doing the things that I just mentioned that is still common, it's still practiced every day if you go to many temples in, 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 in Taiwan, uh, there's about one or more temples for every square kilometer of uh, land in Taiwan. And uh, you would discover that people are bringing their offerings, they're burning incense. And why are they doing that? Because they want to gain the favor of the God. They may feel that they have offended the God in some way, and so they must offer uh, offerings on the altar there. Uh, they place food on the altar uh, so that the God can be well fed and keep him happy so that they won't rain down on them his wrath and uh, disfavor. And so uh, you see all of these things and I have even witnessed uh, on the streets of Taiwan when they would have the parades uh, they would uh, offer offerings of uh, live chickens and uh, pour the blood out on the street there as an offering to their God. Uh, they have these contests where 
they produce these hogs, and the biggest hog, the better. And uh, it, it's a contest, and if they can present a big hog to their God, uh, then much more the better. Well, anyway, um, so this is something that is common in practice, this idea of propitiation, of pleasing their God. But uh, a biblical, non-theological example of propitiation is found in the book of Genesis, the story of Jacob and Esau. You remember that story. It's very common, and uh, we've heard it over and over again. Jacob had cheated Esau, his brother, out of his inheritance and out of his blessing, then ran for his life. And Genesis 32 tells the story of Jacob, how after 20 long years, is finally returning home with his wives and his children and all of the flocks and things that he had gained uh, during that time with his father-in-law Laban. The problem for Jacob was still his brother Esau. Jacob heard that Esau, his brother, was coming to meet him with 400 men. Now, that's a small army. And Jacob was afraid. He was worried. He was concerned. What am I going to do? And so Jacob sent a messenger ahead with a message for Esau. Thus, your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have seen donkeys And male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Find favor. The purpose was to appease Esau's anger. And the messengers returned with a message for Jacob. Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. Jacob's heart is filled with terror. Jacob the schemer. Puts his scheming mind into high gear. What can he do to appease the wrath of his brother? And he comes up with a plan. He decides to offer a gift. Hoping to pacify his brother's wrath. Genesis 32 says that he made the following gift. 200 female goats. 20 male goats. 20, 200 ewes. 20 rams, 15 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 donkeys. He sent all those animals on ahead with instructions to the lead servants. When my brother Esau meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all of these animals? Then you are to say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau, and he is behind us. Then the Bible explains Jacob's motive. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. 
perhaps he will accept me. Now, what does this have to do with propitiation? Well, when the Old Testament was translated into the Greek, they used the Greek word elaskama, which literally means I will propitiate him with these gifts I am bringing. So propitiation, whether in secular or theological terms, means to turn away wrath by the offering of a gift. Now, propitiation. A lot of things we can think about as we consider this subject. And as I was reviewing and preparing to, to preach today, I thought of the wall. Now, what when you think of the wall, what do you think of? Well, I thought about Donald Trump's wall. And uh, his purpose was to keep people out. Was it successful? Partially successful. But still, a lot of people were able to come in over, under, or through the wall. And... Uh, Donald Trump's purpose was to protect the borders, to keep some people out, and to let some in, those who came legally. But when we consider another wall, and I'm talking about the wall of God's holiness, God is a holy God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. And his nature is holy. And because his nature is holy, no one can breach that wall of holiness. We all, because of Adam's fall and Adam's sin, we all stand outside the wall of God's holiness. We are helpless and hopeless unless God finds a way. Because mankind is sinful. Man is sinful and therefore absolutely incompatible with God's holiness. No person can cross over the wall of God's holiness. So, as I said, we stand hopeless before God. Outside of his grace and his mercy and his salvation. But then we have the council. And this is, you'll forgive me, um, I, I just let my mind wander and think about what, how did this happen? How did God's salvation uh, come about? And uh, I think from eternity, we had the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God is love. And God saw this world of people that he had created, that he loved, and that he wanted to be with them and to fellowship with them. And so, as the old 
preachers used to say, uh, back in the council halls of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had a council meeting to determine what can we do, a plan, what can we do to bring these people that I love But they have fallen, they have sinned, they have rebelled against my word and my will. What can I do to bring them back into fellowship with me? And it was in that time that God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came up with a plan. And that plan was that the Son, Jesus Christ the Son would be born as a baby in Bethlehem. That he would be a perfect baby, holy in all his ways and righteous. And that he would grow up a perfect and holy man. And that finally, in his manhood, he would die on the cross of Calvary. A perfect man, a holy man, And he would bear my sins and your sins in his own body on the tree. That I might be saved. That I might be able, as God has built that wall of his holiness. But in that wall, he placed a door. His son, holy in all his ways, died on the cross for me. And when I come to that door, when I hear the message of the gospel preached, and I, by faith, enter that door, accepting Jesus Christ as my substitute and my Savior, I receive him as Lord and Master. And so, I would like for us to just go back into the Old Testament a little bit and and review Some of the things that uh, the the foundation for God's holiness and God's way of salvation. Now, to, to really understand the idea of propitiation, we have to go back into the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 17. We find there the described the Day of Atonement uh, when uh, they set aside that day once a year where the blood of a goat would be taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled there on the altar, the mercy seat, uh, for the sins of the people. This happened once a year. The the priest would change into his holy linen garments and he would take the goat, offer it up as a sacrifice, and he would take the blood of the goat and very carefully go inside the tabernacle into the holy place. And then go behind that curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Having entered the most holy place with the blood of the goat, he would approach the gold-covered chest called the Ark of the Covenant. The top of the Ark of the Covenant was a covering of solid gold with two sculptured cherubim above it with outstretched wings and their faces toward the Ark. That covering of the ark was called the mercy seat. 
the Hebrew word kaparoth literally means place of propitiatory. I'm tongue tied here. Propitiatory. <laughs> Finally got it out. Uh, atonement. There in the middle and on the top of the mercy seat, the high priest would take the blood of the goat and sprinkle it as an atonement for the sins of the people. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was a copy of the Ten Commandments. They stood as God's standard, as a testimony against the sins of the nation of Israel. On the other days of the year when God looked down from heaven, he saw the law. The commandments that were continually broken. But on the day of atonement, when the high priest would take the blood of the goat and sprinkle it on the mercy seat, God saw not the broken law and sins of the people, but the blood of the sacrifice. The blood of the sacrifice covered the sin of the people of Israel. On that day and for the entire year, the sins of the people of Israel were atoned for. They were forgiven and covered by the blood of the sacrifice. Only one problem. It only lasted a year. Just the blood of a goat. Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. The only good thing from that sacrifice was that it pointed to a future sacrifice that would be permanent and lasting. That's the reason the high priest would every year and year after year do it all over again. Because it pointed to something better. And so we find the good news in all of this. That in the New Testament we have the fulfillment that all of those Old Testament sacrifices and the blood of the bulls and goats and so forth, that they pointed toward the final, ultimate sacrifice that points toward our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews two seventeen. Therefore, in all things, he, meaning Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, like you and me. He became a man for us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus had to become one of us as our perfect, sinless high priest. He represents us before God. He brought the blood of the perfect sacrifice and presented it before the Father in heaven. He made propitiation for the sins of the people. Hebrews 9, 12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. 1 John 2 and verse 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world. Putting these two verses, Hebrews 2, 17, 1 John 2 and 2. You have the truth of propitiation. Jesus Christ 
by his death on the cross was the high priest who made the sacrifice, who offered the blood on the mercy seat. At the same time, Jesus Christ is also the sacrifice itself. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. So Jesus, when he offered himself, was both the high priest and the sacrifice offered up to God. How is that possible? But it shouldn't be too hard for us to understand. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats. But in the New Testament, it is the eternal blood of Jesus Christ, which has eternal value and eternal efficacy. In the eyes of Almighty God. You remember that while Jesus was hanging on the cross in great pain and agony, he cried out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, something we can't fully understand happened. In that moment, all the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus. The sins of the whole world were dumped on Jesus. He became sin for us who knew no sin. And in that moment, God turned his back on his only begotten son, the one with whom he had blessed fellowship from eternity. In that moment, the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus for us. And so three truths summarize propitiation. Because Jesus Christ died for us, God's justice is now satisfied. Because Jesus Christ died, God's wrath has now been turned away. The price for sin has been paid. Because Jesus Christ died for us, God's mercy is now freely available to anyone who wants it. And so I see four applications for our sin, our lives today. Number one, the doctrine of propitiation reveals God's true nature. We need no longer live in fear of an angry God. Who is out to hurt and punish us. The doctrine of propitiation teaches us that what ought to be a judgment seat has now, through the blood of Jesus, turned into a mercy seat where we can receive forgiveness of sins. What ought to be a throne of judgment has now, for the believer, Become a throne of grace. That's why Hebrew says that he might be a merciful high priest. We can now clearly see God's true character. That he is merciful and gracious toward us because of the death of Jesus on the cross. Because of this doctrine of propitiation, we can see clearly the absolute Necessity of the blood of Christ. Just as the blood must be sprinkled in the Old Testament, even so must the literal 
physical blood of Christ be shed on the cross. We must reject those people who say today that we mustn't talk about, sing about, or preach about the blood of Christ. Those people deny the gospel truth. If you take the blood out of the Bible and out of our songbooks, you strip the gospel of all its power and meaning. Because Christ bore the full measure of God's wrath, we can now enjoy the full blessing of God's mercy. We don't have to live in fear. We can daily and continually come boldly before God's throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in every trial and temptation. Finally, if you reject Christ, there is nowhere else to turn because the Bible says there is salvation in no other. Jesus suffered the wrath of God for you. But if you reject Jesus, one day you will face the full wrath of the almighty and righteous God. In conclusion, some 200 years ago, a man lived in England by the name of William Cowper. He was a man who had a nervous disposition. All of the biographies talk about the fact that he struggled with nervous problems and depression. Because of that, he experienced great difficulty and suffering in his life. At one point in his life, by his own testimony, he was depressed, upset, and fearful that he was under the wrath of God. He said, I flung myself into a chair by the window and there saw the Bible on the table by the chair. I opened it up and my eyes fell on Romans 3.25, which says of Christ, whom God has made a propitiation through faith in his blood. William Cowper said, then and there, I realized what Christ's blood had accomplished and I realized the effects of his atonement for me. I realized God was willing to justify me and then and there I trusted Jesus Christ and a great burden was lifted from my soul. Looking back on that day, William Cowper wrote a hymn several years later that is in our hymn book today. There is a fountain filled with blood from, drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. What about you? Have you been plunged beneath the flood of the blood of Jesus? Jesus made propitiation for you. And I would encourage everybody to Include that in your vocabulary and understand what it means because of the grace of God. Jesus made propitiation for you. He has turned away the wrath of God. He shed his blood so that the place of judgment could become a mercy seat for the people like you and me. I plead with you today to run to the cross Believing Jesus hanging there 
Accept his blood as the once for all sacrifice for your sins. God will forgive you. You will receive eternal life. Amen and amen. As Brother Stephen comes to lead us in that great hymn of the faith, I pray that wherever you are, if you're here in